So uh, Vacation Bible School um, is, is coming up, and, and I, I get to preach this morning, and I've titled my message, um, Why You Need to Serve at Vacation Bible School. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not the title of my message at all. Um, but, but really, VBS is a, it's a church thing. It's not a children's ministry thing, and it requires our whole church to put this on, not for the lights and smoke so that kids can hear about Jesus. So please, if you're interested, come and serve and, and hang out with kids so that they can know that they're loved and that Jesus loves them. Amen? Amen. Um, so if you have your Bible, would you open it? We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning, um, which is one of my favorite books, but I think I say that every time I, I preach something uh, out of whatever book of the Bible is that, oh, this is one of my favorite books, I think, because they're all kind of one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, But Nehemiah uh, is just a great story. Um, And the reason that we're going to look to the Bible today is because I believe that the Bible has uh, the power to change lives. It's not just pages. It's not just words, but it's the living, breathing Word of God. And so every week, we go to the Bible here at Crossroads Church because we believe its power. It's the one thing that Jesus puts above his own name is the word. So Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, and this morning, I want to talk to you about a, a simple yet very powerful um, idea. Um, and I've titled my message, Don't Miss This Moment. Um, and I believe that God has placed a call or a dream a mission on each one of our hearts. Um, But this life is super simple and fast and easy to get distracted and miss the moments that are right in front of us that God is calling us into or that he wants to bless us in. And we get caught up in the hustle of life in dropping kids off from soccer to band, that we miss the moments that Jesus wants us to slow down and stop so that he can work. So we're going to read in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2, and it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Um, and it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And now I had not not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? And so it pleased the king and he he sent me when I had given him a time And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple 
for the wall of the city and for the houses that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. Will you guys pray with me as we get into the word this morning? Lord, I pray that as we hear a a word from you, Father God, I, I pray that you would touch each one of us, that you would speak to each one of us, Lord God. I pray that your word for each of us would come through this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Have any of you guys ever missed a, like a, had a golden opportunity and you just kind of messed it up? Maybe I'm, the, maybe I'm the only one, and I, it happens a lot to me, um, and it's, it's likely because I'm really indecisive. Um, and that's just kind of my nature, is I, I struggle when big choices are in front of me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do, and then I, I might just miss the perfect opportunity because I'm indecisive. Um, any of you guys uh, like really into the Enneagram thing? Anybody know what that is? Okay, so it's, a, it's this thing that young people like right now uh, because they want to have an identity. Uh, and it's, it's personality types is what it is. And so the Enneagram is just nine different personality types. And they say that each person will fall within these nine categories of personality type. Um, and so mine is a, is a type nine. So when you guys get home, go on, you can take this test online and figure out what your personality is. Okay. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's fun to play, like to look at and, and you kind of see, oh yeah, oh, I do have those tendencies. I, I kind of, I do this, I do that. One of those of the type nine is indecisiveness. And so that's me. Uh, and, uh, I love to hunt, and I love to fish, and I like to bow hunt, and so this last, uh, this last fall, my buddy Garrett and I, we decide we're going to go bow hunting for elk, and we get out into the woods, and we're, we're trudging along, and we've been hiking probably five miles deep, deep into the backcountry, and I feel like we're really deep in the backcountry, and we're, you know, super excited, and we're running around and bugling for elk and screaming as loud as we can through bugles trying to find elk and nothing's happening. All of a sudden, I hear this like beeping noise in the woods. I'm like, we're in the middle of nowhere and there's a beeping noise. And sure enough, we hear voices and there's like logging trucks. And we're like, how are they even back here? Like, we're on a road that hasn't been driven in 50 years and there's guys logging or building a bridge or something back here. And so we're like, great, there's no elk. And so we're like, well, we can be as loud as we want, so we, we're, we're like, we got to go this way. So we start tromping through the woods, and all of a sudden, I look up, and there's four elk standing right there. Like, you can still hear the guys shouting and yelling, here's the four elk, and, and Garrett can't see him, but I can see him, and so he's like, hey, you got you to gotta take a shot, take a shot, and so I, I put an arrow in, and I go line up my shot, and I'm like, got to go between a couple trees, and let the shot go, and I just hear it smack. I'm like, that wasn't the sound of it smacking into an animal, though. Like, I was all excited. I could already taste the pepperoni that was coming, and my mouth was watering. And then, then I realized that, that I was going to have to be chewing on the bark of the tree that I hit <laughs> instead. And so it, it passes, and, and we lose the opportunity, and they, they run off. And I'm like, great, there goes our whole hunting trip. So we come back the next weekend. And we're kind of doing the same thing. And we get up to the top of this mountain, and there is fresh elk tracks everywhere. 
Like every, you can tell they were there that night, like their poop is practically still steaming and you're like, oh yes. And, and a hunter's like, you know, smell it. And yeah, it's fresh. It's, it's good. They were here. I didn't really do that, but some people do that. You know, it's, it's the same guys that think you should drink the blood out of the heart after you kill an elk. That's just not me. Um, so we're, we're up on this big top of this mountain and we let off a big bugle in, in hopes to hear something. And sure enough, at the very bottom of the hill, very bo- after we've hiked and hiked at the very bottom of the hill, this bull chuckles back at us. <laughs> and we're like, oh, man, it's at the bottom of the hill. Now, the great part of this story is when we're talking Enneagram types is that Garrett is also a number nine. And so we got to have some fun as we realized that we were both nines last week. And I said, this is what ruined our elk hunting trip, (laughs) is that we both are very indecisive. And so we just go with like, oh, yeah, I think the better chance is over here. So the bowl is down in the valley, and we decide not to go after it because we're like, well, the elk we missed is around the corner this way. We'll just keep going around the mountain. And hopefully we'll run into that because that's the easier, less conflict side to take. And so we didn't end up going that way. And as we laugh about it now, we realize that we probably shouldn't be hunting partners anymore (laughs) because neither of us can decide which way we should go, which animal we should shoot at. It's not a good thing for us because of our indecisiveness. Um, And Nehemiah is faced with a really big decision right here as we read. And this decision didn't just come about in a quick moment. It came about as he's been wrestling for at least four months, about four months, he's just been wrestling with this idea of something that God has called him to, that he's feeling that God's called him to, but he's he's not quite sure, and he doesn't know if it's going to work out, if the king's going to be okay with him saying, hey, I want to go build another fortress. Like, he just doesn't know, and it's four months worth of wrestling, and then all of a sudden, it's right at his front door that he's been wrestling this. He didn't like walk in and, and prep like today. Maybe he was for the last week, today's the day I'm going to talk to the king or today's the day that I'm going to finally do it. But here the king approaches him about it. And he's faced now with what might seem like a giant right in front of him. Um, and he's met head to head with the opportunity to do something as the king says, hey, why are you sad? And now he can't lie. He's got to tell the king why he's sad. And I don't think this sadness just came right then. And, and Nehemiah would have known his entire life that Jerusalem was destroyed. He would have grown up knowing that it was 190 years before this moment that Jerusalem's walls fell. So he knows this, but there's been something, it's just like historical knowledge to him, but something's changed that the Lord has been saying, no, Nehemiah, there's something that I have for you. I'm calling you to something. And the first point that I want to make this morning is asking you the question, what is the dream or the call, or the mission that God has for you. What is the mission? What is the thing that the Lord has begun? Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was four months ago. Maybe it was four years ago that the Lord has began to be, 
stirring within you, because I believe each one of us has a mission, a call, a dream that the Lord has placed within our hearts. In John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask for in my name, he may give it to you. Romans tells us that each of us individually has a purpose. We each have a purpose, a specific talent or treasure that God has given us that is to be used for the building of the church. And it says in Romans 12, 5 through 8, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ. Each one of us has a different calling, a different mission, having gifts that differ. According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And maybe your call, maybe your mission that God has for you is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I doubt it because that was Nehemiah's thing. And there's walls up right now. So it's probably not that, right? It's already been done. But maybe it's your call to be the one that breaks generational chains of addiction. Or maybe it's to build a business that's founded on godly morals and that's a source of generosity within a community. Or maybe it's simply serving in a kid's ministry and showing kids what the love of Jesus looks like. I don't know the desire that God has put in your heart, but I do know that it's in there somewhere or it's going to be in there somewhere as we seek him. So whether it's building a wall surrounding a city to fortify it, like Nehemiah did, or it's serving in a children's ministry, or it's handing out cookies on Sunday morning in a cookie room, there's a call that's been placed on your life. There's a mission. And I don't want you to go another day missing that moment. Don't miss the moment. It requires an act of faith, but we're set up for success. There's an act of faith that we must do and step into as we step into the calling of the Lord, but the Lord has ordained and set us up for success. For Nehemiah, it required him to step into faith and humble himself as he asked before the king for permission. And through Nehemiah's step of faith, even though it felt like a giant that was in front of him, it was just a piece of God's puzzle. Like though that looked like a giant step for Nehemiah to come to the king and humble himself and say, I want this city rebuilt. Can you help me? That may have looked like a giant. It was only just a small piece of God's plan, a small piece of the puzzle. And what Nehemiah doesn't know is that the Lord 
had been intricately working in this plan for centuries. For years and years, there was things happening to prepare Nehemiah for this moment. See, the king that Nehemiah is asking and that he's serving is Artaxerxes, and he is the stepson of Esther. The stepson of Esther. And I don't know if you know the story of Esther, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but the story of Esther is that she is promoted to queen in her land. And there's a plot. She's a, a Jewish, Jewish exile who's become queen. And there's a plot of some really terrible people for essentially a genocide of the Jews. And she goes and she begs the king, which isn't right for a queen to do, to save her people. And he does. And, and this is the son, the stepson of Esther, who got firsthand, got to witness and see through his lifetime the favor of the Lord on the Jews. So it's nothing, it's no simple thing that Nehemiah is just asking a request. The Lord has been working in that. He's been preparing the heart of the king to say yes to Nehemiah. The Lord has been at work in every small step along the way. Nehemiah was a cup bearer to the king. As we read, he pours wine for the king. And this wasn't just a nobody to the king. He had to be a trusted person. See, a cupbearer was an officer of high royal ranking whose duty was to serve drinks at a royal table on account of the constant fear of plots that would be against a king's life. This person had to be regarded as trustworthy to hold the position. And he must guard against poison to the king's cup. And so he has to be somebody who the king trusts and cares about. And I don't think it was by mistake that Nehemiah became the cupbearer to the king, that he would have influence within the king's very inner circles is where Nehemiah would be. When very specific meetings are happening, the cupbearer is there to pour the wine, to make sure the wine doesn't have poison. At times, Nehemiah has to lay down his life, and drink the wine to verify that there's no poison in it. He's a crucial person to the king. And his confidential relations with the king gave him this position of great influence. When we as Christians choose to walk in the calling of the Lord, the Lord will honor our steps. In Proverbs, it says, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. I remember um, quite a number of years ago, like six years ago, so maybe not quite a number, a small number. Um, I, I remember the Lord speaking to me about my future. And when I was 16, I remember the when the Lord spoke to me and said, I, I want to call you to ministry and to pastor. And I, I was like, okay, that's cool. And there was a, a, a point of life where I was like really excited about that. And then came a point of life where I was like, yeah, but a paycheck looks really sweet, God. And so I, 
I still had favor in my life, and I got a job in a really good company where I had the potential for extreme amounts of growth. I was very... Um, I wasn't high up in the company, but I was looked after very well and cared about. And I kind of had a little bit of an in with high-level management within this company where I think they would have given me the world if I stayed with the company and, and continued to work for them. I think I could have excelled and excelled and excelled because they looked very favorably upon me. And I remember the Lord um, beginning to turn in my heart that I was going to leave that company and I was actually going to go work with Ike. And um, the reason that I felt like the Lord was making this shift was partly to a, to a new career and a new job, but a lot of what brought me to that position and into making that decision was I knew that the Lord was leading me closer to Crossroads because I knew that there was something here that the Lord was calling me to do. This was several years ago, and I knew that taking a job down here within the community would give me more favor within the community, and it was a move of the Lord to be closer to where I thought he was calling me to be. And I remember when I walked into the office, and this was the first time I think I really ever resigned from a job, and uh, I had a really a- official, like I was like, I have to do this right. And so I, I had a letter of resignation. I remember that walk into the office to, to give my, my notice and my letter of resignation. And my boss, I could tell he was upset about it because he didn't want me to go. And like I said, I, I feel like if I would have stayed with that company, I would have grown and grown and grown with them. And I remember his words as I told him my reasoning for leaving, and a lot of it was, I feel like God is calling me to do this. Those were the words that I used. And he looked at me and said, well, I wish I could convince you not to leave, but I know now that I can't because he was also a Christian man, and he knew that if the Lord was calling me to it, he was nowhere going to convince me to leave. Even though I kind of wanted to hear, like, what's your convincing argument? How much money? Like... (laughs) Were you willing to pay when I said I would leave? Like, what? At least we could hear it, right? Like, um, but Mordecai tells Esther, because she's faced with the decision that she has to go to a king and really sacrifice her life, because this could potentially lead to her death. And he says, Who knows? that you have come into your royal position for a time as this. The Lord is setting up the steps for us to step into faith. It's not something that's just happening today. He's been intricately weaving your life together for the moments that he's called you in. And my last point that I want to make, we'll try to close quick, but, you know, Terry wanted to take forever this morning, so... Um, and you know what? Formula One's not on or anything like that. Uh, there's no football today. Uh, the Mariners are doing awful, so who really wants to watch them? If they're playing, I don't even know. So we got all the time in the world, right? The rest of the day, okay. Um, NASCAR, I guess. And another left turn. 
You guys saw I was preaching. It was a comedy act. So the last point I want to make um, is this. When we say yes, it affects generations to come. It's not just about our yes today. It's about how this affects the next generation. And I can tell you, our next generation needs us to say yes more than ever. My job is a youth pastor. I get to hang out with young kids, talk about Jesus. That's my job. I love it. I get, I get, I get paid to hang out with high school students, uh, which sometimes involves airsoft wars. And who, who doesn't want to do that? Like, you get paid to shoot high school guys with an airsoft gun? Okay, done. Like, let's go. When's the next, when's it happening again? Let's go. But I can't tell you the things that our young people face today. The pressure, the social pressure that's going on today, the suicide rates that are in our high schools, the rate that kids are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression orders in elementary school because they feel like the weight of the world is upon them. And a lot of it has to do with social media, and that's not their fault, that's culture. But if you and I think at 28, at 35, at 40, at 50 years old, that we're influenced by what people say about us on social media, imagine what a, a, a teenager who hasn't yet really discovered who they are and they don't have a, a foundation of identity, imagine the social pressure that comes from social media for those kids. If I'm affected by it, how much more are our students affected by it? Our next generation needs our yes like never before. They need us to set an example of what faith looks like, of what walking with the Lord looks like, that it's good that it's not the way that the media might want to paint it, but there is blessing when we choose to say yes. I got my notes backwards. See, Esther's obedience, when she said yes, paved the way and was, I believe, part of God's plan that made Nehemiah and gave him the right standing and the ability for his yes. Her generation set it up for Nehemiah's generation. And what's cool about Nehemiah's obedience is that when he said yes to what Jesus was calling him to, is that he got to be a part and take part in one of what I consider the most amazing things in biblical history. And that's the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 9, uh, we see a, a, a prophecy that, that Gabriel gives to Nehemiah. And it says, or to Daniel, sorry. Um, and it says that from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah, the prince, there would be 69 weeks, and I'm not going to go through all of the math. We don't have a ton of time. You can, you can go online. You can look back on our recent messages. Terry talked about this a few weeks back around Easter, and 
this was a, a time, a specific thing. God didn't just say in so many generations or, or whatever. He came to a specific moment and he said, at this time, the Messiah is, you're going to see the Messiah. It's a specific prophecy of time. And it's been calculated out that that prophecy equals 1,700 100,000, 173,880 days. Sorry, I can't do math. I was terrible in high school, okay? This is what you get. Um, 173,880 days. It's a specific chunk of time, and it says, from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem. When was the command? The command was to Nehemiah from King Artaxerxes when he said, can I go rebuild the wall? And he says, yes. It starts a clock that says, the Messiah will come this day. And if you do the math and you calculate it out, including leap years, all of those kind of things, it lands on April 6th, AD 33, the day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it's the first time in that Jesus announces himself as deity, as God and the Messiah. He allows himself to be worshiped. I think it's so cool because of Nehemiah's obedience that he got to be a part of that equation because he said yes. So I want to move into the book of Luke, and we're going to look at that day that the Lord wrote in. And in Luke chapter 19, and it'll be up on the screen, it says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And I believe that this is one of the biggest moments in our history is when Jesus Christ announces himself as God, as the Messiah. And this moment, he says to the Pharisees, you should have known this. You should have seen this moment. I gave you a prophecy that was specific to the day. You should know the day that I come. See, it was right in front of them. God's plan had been intricately working through Esther to Nehemiah and countless others before then, leading to this holy moment that Jesus rides in on a donkey. 
And these guys are too caught up in being righteous that they miss the righteousness that was standing right in front of them. Don't miss this moment. It's so important. Such a big deal at this moment that, that he's seen as righteousness and seen as the son of God and worshiped that if nobody would have worshiped, if it would have been a silent ride in for Jesus, that even the rocks would have cried out. Uh, Dr. Chuck Missler always talks about, as he, as he talks about this, that if you ever have a chance to go to the Holy Land and to walk this road, to, to find a rock and to hold it. And if anybody asks you what it is, you say, this is the rock that would have cried out. What an awesome moment in time. See, God's plan is so much, so much bigger than us. So much bigger than us that we don't have to even say yes to his plan for it to be accomplished. We don't, we don't have to be the ones. It will still be accomplished. Mordecai tells Esther these words. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will still come for the Jews because God's plan was relief and deliverance. It will still happen because he's good and he's bigger. Doesn't matter if we say yes or no. He says, but you and your father's family will perish. God's plan's gonna happen, but I can promise you this, that blessing occurs on the other side of obedience. We don't have to say yes. We don't have to. We can live our life and we can miss the moments. But I can tell you this, you will miss out on the blessing that God has for you. Blessing comes on the other side of obedience. Jesus wept over Jerusalem right after he rides in and he sees the city. He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make peace for you. Peace came if they would have recognized it. But it says, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Esther's house was spared because of her obedience. Her uncle Mordecai was raised to the second in rank to the king because of their obedience. Nehemiah was then appointed governor over Judah. Blessings come on the other side of obedience. Don't miss this moment that God is calling you to walk in. Here's the good news, though, is that I think some of us maybe have come to this point, to this morning, and we can look back and say, man, I've missed the moment. Or I've missed some moments in life. But that's not the end. See, Peter's a great example of this. I don't know if you guys remember the story of Peter, but he really missed the moment about a week after Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And Jesus tells him, hey, bud, I know you love me. You care about me so much. 
You believe in me, but you're going to deny me. Peter says, no, I won't, Lord. And comes the moment. Peter's faced with a chance. He can miss the moment or don't miss it. And he denies the Lord three times. And on the third time, as soon as he denies him, a rooster crows. And it reminds him what Jesus said. And he sees Jesus. I think there's a moment of eye contact. And Peter can't hang anymore. He recognizes that he missed the moment. He feels so burdened by the weight and by the guilt. He leaves and it says he weeps because he missed the moment. But there's good news is that just because we miss that moment doesn't mean that grace isn't still grace and that it's not still available. See, a few days later, Jesus did what only Jesus could do and he rises from the dead and he gets to hang out with Peter again. And Peter gets a second chance at saying yes to Jesus. And I think for some of you this morning, you need to know that grace is here. There's another chance to say yes to Jesus, to walk in what he's called you to walk in. I think for some of you that may be saying yes to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you know the thing that the Lord's been calling you to, but you've tried to ignore it or run from it, and you think it's just too big and you can never do it. It is too big, and you can never do it. But the Lord has intricately woven it together for this moment, and you get to choose to step in faith and say yes. Maybe today... The Lord wants to break bonds of addiction that have been passed down through generation after generation. I believe that the Lord wants to do something new in each one of us this morning. And so as we close, I want you to begin to pray and to ask the Lord, what is the thing that you've called me to? What is it today? What's the moment today that you don't want me to walk past? Maybe it's surrendering to Jesus for the first time. Whatever it is, I plead you not to miss the moment. Would you guys pray with me?